What's going on, guys? Zane here with Everything Vibe. Want to welcome you back for another episode. I am joined by Ronnie. Ronnie, welcome back, man. Hey, it's great. It's great to be back. Thanks. Yeah, I literally like, you know, sorry everyone for being gone as long as I was. I was, I was actually out of the country, and I had initially planned on at least doing the the episode with the news and game talk, uh, but due to you know all the craziness with the time difference. And everything in short notice, uh, we weren't able to make it happen. But uh, you know, I, I was, I definitely got a chance to listen to how everything went when I came back, and just wanted to say I thought, I thought the interview with uh, with the diner duo guy went well. Uh, Zane, you did a great job, and then and then Damon, uh, you know, strong first showing on the podcast. <laughs> I thought I thought that was great as well. So yeah, we had a uh, fun conversation. So yeah, but but. Definitely glad to be back and, you know, can't wait to, to, con- to continue on from this point forward. Going on strong on the 55th episode. Yes, sir. Well, no, no need to apologize. We all got to do our thing every once in a while. But it is good to have you back. And uh, yeah, l- what do you say? Let's jump right into it. Yeah, let's do it. Cool. So uh, we we kind of belabored this point uh, quite a bit last week, or at least the story quite a bit last week. But uh, I do want to get your quick thoughts on the Zenimax and Oculus uh, trial and case that just kind of came to a conclusion last week. Obviously, with uh, with Oculus owing five hundred dollars to Zenimax for, I guess ultimately it was just uh, or primarily the NDA violation. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. It, right. It's the NDA violations and also uh, and also some copyright uh, and trademark infringement issues. So gotcha. yeah, bas- well, basically the yeah the three main. I mean, I just uh, just to say, I I listened to to uh, Damon and your conversation about the case, and and I actually thought you guys did a great job of of hitting the major points. Oh, thank you. So yeah, so kudos to that. Um, as far well, as we, we wanted to get your we wanted to get your opinion just from like a legal perspective. Sure, uh, I mean, sure. nothing nothing too. Well, I mean, no. well, how, however you want to look at it, because I, I know just in our in our previous uh, or in our conversation before we hit record, uh, you said you were still kind of going through all of the details from the case and and uh, you know everything that came on afterwards. But I'm just curious, like your quick reaction, um, and maybe maybe any things that we might have missed if you want to highlight those. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, just as full disclosure, I only really got a chance to to, to briefly look over the the, the jury verdict. Uh, you know, it included the the instructions given to the jury, and then their de- their decision regarding the damages and and their findings. And I think previously I had looked at one of the early complaints. I'm not sure if Zenimax had amended it or anything like that. So, by no means do I know the full details of of how this case case went. Uh, procedurally and all of that. Um, but, you know, like everybody else, I saw the verdict come through and I, I did get a chance to look at kind of what the jury found. And, and, and I mean, you guys hit all the major points, like I said. Um, the, the three main issues it looks like the, the, the jury had kind of looked at were trade secrets, the NDA, and copyright and, and, and trademark issues. And the trademark secrets it actually found in, in Oculus's favor. So that's, that's good news for them. But the NDA, uh, you know, they ruled against uh, Palmer Lucky and Oculus by extension. And then likewise with, you know, the, the copyright and trademark stuff. Uh, so, I mean, the short end of it is, uh, you know, it, Zenimax got a pretty, uh, you know, substantial judgment in their favor um, at the trial court level. 
but this is by no means over. And you guys had already talked about some of, you know, the consequences of, uh, you know, Oculus and Facebook threatening to appeal. It's not even really a threat. They more or less said they will be appealing. So we, we know that that's probably going to happen. And then on top of that, you know, Zenimax kind of, I don't know if it was a counter so much. It's just, you know, them basically, you know, flexing their muscles a little bit to say that they would possibly be looking into, you know, seeking an injunction to uh, enforce at least the copyright and trademark aspect of, of, of the jury's verdict. Um, well, so, so that's actually one that I wanted to ask you about, because is it, I mean, is that legitimate? Is there like, would they have legitimate grounds to be able to uh, not only file something, but also win it uh, just because since they didn't win the trade secret side uh, or the trade yeah. secret aspect, like, I, I like, yeah. I'm just curious how they they can still kind of flex that muscle if, uh, yeah. you, know, you know what I mean? So, so I would have to look into the case a little bit more to confirm exactly which, what the copyrights were and what the trademarks were that, that the jury found were being infringed upon. But certainly if Zenimax is able to show that Oculus has con- is continuing to violate its copyrights and trademarks by, su- by certain actions that it's taking, I mean, the jury basically... And, you know, decided that there is infringement. And so if Zenimax can show that that infringement is still occurring, then I would think they would have a decent shot at getting an injunction. Now, the caveat to all of that is that, like I said, I'd have to confirm to see what, what, those, what, what the copyrights and trademarks that are being infringed really are. And whether that's really that big of a deal or not, um, in relation to Oculus's current activities, I mean, if if and and it doesn't seem like this is the case, but if if we're just talking about violations of oh, like you know, trying to include Doom Three as a pack-in with some of the early Oculus dev kits, you know, if that's what they're focusing on, then obviously that's not a big issue. It's not really an ongoing thing. Then yeah, I don't think they would have a shot at really getting an injunction. Now if now if Part of that copyright, and I do think part of that copyright does have to do with some of the underlying code related to the SDK. Um, some of that stuff was written by Carmack, at least at least in some form, according to the jury's decision, prior to you know him leaving Zenimax. And so Zenimax, technically, you know, according to this this decision, has has uh, copyrights on some of that some of that code. Um, yeah, if, if, if that's what they decided, then you could see a judge, you know, you could see a judge trying to, to enjoin that. At the same time, though, if, if Oculus appeals and kind of argues that the injunction shouldn't be granted until the appeal process is resolved or something like that, then, then that could kind of nullify that. The other, the other aspect, and, and I'd have to know more about the, the precise details to, kind of tell you whether or not I thought that was likely or not. Because with injunctions, it's all about, is there an imminent threat? And, and you know, would they potentially win on the merits of the case if they were to win? If, if, if that's all the case, then they can, you know, at least get a temporary or a preliminary, preliminary injunction. And then once they get the final, you know, 
the final decision, then, then that becomes more permanent. And so here, you know, it, it, it's, it's hard to say exactly what they'd be able to get, but, but likewise, I would think that Oculus is going to try their best, you know, regardless of how this stuff, you know, kind of shakes out. Uh, I would think that they'd be doing their best to try to clean up the code base to where they could come back and argue that, you know, the stuff that their products that are out there now have been chained, like, you know, are no longer infringing on these copyrights or trademark. Like that, I would assume that that's the type of art, the best type of argument that you could make given that, uh, the jury has found that there was some form of copyright infringement already. You're not going to, you know, it's, it's a little bit more of an uphill battle to try to somehow, you know, wiggle around the fact that they made that decision. It's better to say, we understand that that's the decision. However, it's no longer really applicable because we're no longer violating that copyright. And, you know, here's why. And then in that scenario, I, I don't think it would do much damage. So, so, so there's, so with the injunction side, I mean, uh, do I think, do I think Oculus Rifts are going to be taken off the shelves because of the cop? Like, no, I don't, I don't think because, because, because unlike, Unlike patents, for example, copyrights and trademarks have to do with intellectual property, right? So the hardware itself isn't affected by, by those issues. So really the only thing you're really looking at is the underlying code. And that's something that you can fix with patches or software, I would think, to where you could kind of find a way around, around that. So, so based on my, my limited knowledge of the situation, I would say you're not going to see, you know, Oculus is taken off the shelf as a result of all of this, at least in the, you know, yeah, I, I think that's highly unlikely. Um, yeah. I, well, I mean, when we, when we were talking last week, I think Damon brought up the point that it's more so it might just be like a bargaining chip or, uh, you know, some type of uh, threat to, uh, or not, well, threat, but like more like motivation to get Oculus to, you know, get the proceedings done quickly or at least settle or whatever the case might be just to kind of push them in yeah. the direction that Zenimax <laughs> wants to go rather than I actually mean, following yeah. through with it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely possible, but at the same time, like, honestly, I don't know all the details of how the case got to this point to begin with, but it's kind of crazy to think that they went all the way to trial. I mean, most cases don't see trial because, you know, prior to that stage of the game, usually one of the sides will kind of recognize that they have a weaker position or recognize that they have a lot of money at stake by continuing. And both sides, there's always risks on, on either side, even if you're the strong, you know, you have the strong arguments in the case. And so usually before, before trial, you know, the parties come to some type of an agreement and they settle and that's that. The fact that this went all the way to trial and ended with a verdict makes me think that these parties are not really working well together. That's and a great point. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it seems like, like Zenimax might be spiteful about losing a guy like Carmack, about missing out on an opportunity like this. Oculus might be, you know, super upset that they think, you know, they think Zenimax is trying to take advantage of the fact that, that VR is, 
has such a uh, seems like it has such a, a big upside and they're trying to capitalize on that. Like, I mean, there's just so many aspects of this that could be more personal than I think some people would like. Again, the fact that it just went all the way and you had even, you know, you even had uh, Mark Zuckerberg testifying in the first case that he's ever had to, to, to testify in and all of that. Like, I mean, this is like, uh, it's pretty crazy that it came to that. And, and so to think that they're going to, you know, now, uh, like really like just, you know, bury the hatchet and kind of move on. It, it's possible, but it seems like both parties are a little bit stubborn about about who they think should is in the right and who's in the wrong. And, and based and on, on Carmack's uh, response after the verdict was given, exactly. there, there's no love lost between both sides. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's kind of the the thing is like I think both sides think they're right about this, and I think both given the you know, it, it is a really tricky situation. So, so it's not really, you know, when you have two parties that have such strong opinions, I feel like that's like almost the only time where a settlement isn't possible. And, and I don't know, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, the other thing, I guess just the last kind of sticking points as far as how the appeals process works, basically they'll have, they have a certain, uh, Oculus and Facebook will have a certain amount of time the file notice of the of their appeal, and once they do that, they'll most likely be given a certain amount of time to file their appeal brief. So you have a very limited amount of time to to notice up the notice up, note give notice to the other side that you're going to be appealing. And my understanding is they haven't done that yet. Once they do that, the court then gives them a certain amount of time, most likely. And assuming that they agree and then, and then, and, and then the appeal brief gets filed. And once that appeal brief gets filed, that's when we'll know what the issues on appeal actually are. And, 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 and for lay people, sometimes they don't, not everyone always realizes this. There's only a limited number of, of argue, like there's only a limited type of argument that you can make once the trial courts and the, and a, and a jury is made a verdict. So, so it's not like you get to appeal and rehear the case all over again from scratch. That's not how appeals work. Basically, they're mo- like all of the determinations of fact that the jury made, unless you can show that there's, and there was an error made in either the application of law or the, uh, the application of law or there was an abuse of discretion on the, on the part of the court, which are kind of, you know, similar, somewhat related. Unless those things occurred, then the jury verdict, those, those determinations of facts stand. So it's not like you can say, I think the jury was wrong. I'm going to appeal that you can't appeal yeah. that. Mm-hmm. What you, what you have to say is, well, the, 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 the law was misapplied so that the, Instructions that the jury were provided were incorrect, and that led them to a wrong verdict. That's the only or or there was something there was something prejudicial about how the the trial went at the lower court level that makes their ultimate ruling void. 
Like the, there's, the, you can only appeal on those types of issues. And usually, you know, especially in a big case like this, I'm sure that they were, you know, doing their best to kind of, uh, you know, preserve certain issues for appeal that they kind of realized, you know, oh, this is a potential uh, issue that we could appeal if it came to that, blah, blah. So I'm sure they already have an idea of, of exactly what the issues are that they intend to appeal. And I wouldn't be surprised after, after listening to, or not listening, but after reading Carmack's, uh, you know, opinion of what happened that, you know, they don't somehow try to point out that the jury was, uh, you know, fed misinformation or so. I don't know. But, but just like I said, it's not like, it's, it's not that we're in an unlimited, uh, you know, set of an unlimited universe of possibilities here regarding the appeal. Facebook and Oculus can only make certain types of arguments at this point in order to potentially try to get a new crack at this. So, so it'll be interesting once we, once we see what that appeal brief looks like, then we can go back and say, okay, like this is kind of, you know, then you can kind of analyze whether you think, uh, you know, they're really going to have a shot at, at moving forward with this or if, or if, you know, if they are going to try to settle or just pay or whatever. So, yeah, well, I mean, like you said, this is, this is going to uh, trickle on for a while and um, I, I don't want to, I don't want to stay too much on it now because we are going to need to wait for more information to come out, uh, you know, yeah. just to see, just to see where it goes. But um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's really crazy stuff. So, yeah, uh, well, no, it it definitely is, and and I mean, I was I had a I had a brief thought. Um, well, anyways, yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's it'll be interesting to see where it goes, and oh, that's yeah, just kind of the final. I mean, part, one of the things that kind of stuck with me when I was when I was hearing about Mark Zuckerberg's uh, uh, his testimony, besides the fact that he didn't know. <laughs> who Zenimax was, which I thought was kind of a ridiculous thing to say, but whatever. Uh, one of the things that kind of stuck with me about about his his testimony that was really you know a positive sign was just the, the fact that the the company does view uh, its project with the Oculus and in virtual reality as being a more long term type of game. I mean he, I I mean he, while maybe you know while maybe the progress of Oculus has been a little bit uh, less than less than stellar so far, considering, you know, everything that's been happening. Um, still, uh, he really does still think that virtual reality and, and AR are going to be the future of, of, of a future, you know, computing platform. And, well, and he, he invested at least $2 billion in it. I mean, you got to go, you got to go and show some support when you've invested that much money. I mean, that's certainly <laughs> true. So, but, but yeah, I mean, I mean, just the fact though, that they, they view it as, you know, Hey, in 10 years, yeah, we'll, yeah. you know, we're a long way to go and, uh, you know, still in this, in this medium. And, and we are in some ways just, you know, at the pong stage of what virtual reality will eventually look like once everything's said and done. So any kind of hiccups with, how Oculus does now or anything like, I mean, they're all kind of drops in the bucket probably in the long term. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. So let's, uh, let's move on then. I got another news topic here before we get into game talk. And 
This one isn't, uh, well, it's, it's not fresh, uh, fresh news, but it came out last week. And I, I just thought that it was uh, just relevant to a lot of the discussions that you and I have had regarding, uh, just, I guess, the life cycles and generations of, of you know, these headsets and where they're going to go. And so mm-hmm. in an interview, Alvin Wang, who is the HTC China regional president of Vive, which is quite the long title there, but um, he was talking about the life cycle of the Vive and I, I guess just headsets in general. And um, he was saying that they would follow something similar to a smartphone cycle, but not that quickly, so not or not not as fast. So it wouldn't be on a you know year by year basis like you see something like the iPhone, for example. Uh, and it also wouldn't be, take as long as consoles, which I want to say are between like five to six years uh, between you know uh, between generations. And so he was saying you know something like think of going like iPhone six to iPhone seven, like two to three years rather than, you know, so like a middle ground between those. Um, yeah, and yeah. The idea was that, you know, they would use accessories on a yearly basis. So you see something like the audio strap coming out later this year, the Vive Tracker coming out later this year. Um, like they'd use these accessories between major releases to keep things fresh. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, I, like it's just, it's, I don't know. What, I mean, what, what do you think of it? Because we've been talking about Lifecycle. We've been talking about Vive 2 and there's been all this chatter about Vive 2. When's the next generation dropping? This seems much more reasonable to me, uh, and I mean, it, mm-hmm. obviously, like there, this sounds like the game plan that they're going with. But yeah. I mean, what do, what do you think of like the idea of first, you know, two to three years between cycles, and then second, how do you feel about accessories being, you know, the um, quote unquote items that will keep things fresh? Sure. So, so actually, so I do agree with you. I mean, in terms of, I think the amount of time that they're talking about is is pretty reasonable. So as far as a two to three year lifespan for a kit, I think, I think that's probably where I would want to see it. Not in terms of I'm not your average person isn't going to be able to upgrade every cycle, maybe, but I, you know, it's that fine balance of making things affordable and 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 worthwhile for the consumers, while at the same time not holding back the technology and really moving things forward in a space that you know, has plenty to offer. So, so in, in that regard, I think two to three years is kind of a nice middle ground. You know, we'll see innovation when it makes sense for innovation, but at the same time, you don't have, you're not buying your headset and then getting immediately burnt when, you know, the next version comes out in six months. So, so that's all good. As far, as far as, as far as the accessory point, I mean, I kind of already expected like probably more of a three-year cycle plus um, if you wouldn't have, you know, if you wouldn't have told me uh, any of that kind of stuff and just asked me what I thought, I probably would have expected, you know, eh, like maybe maybe a couple years from now. The Vive came out in April of 2015, right? Or no, 2016. Yeah. So, so you know, I would expect probably in a couple years from now, that there would be an, a second version of the Vive. I mean, that two years from now is is a pretty long ways out in terms of how fast this stuff has all been moving. I mean, just a, two or three years ago from from where we're looking at right now, I mean, we were just dealing with Oculus dev kits, right? So, so that's so all that stuff is pretty you know reasonable, right? But but kind of putting that into perspective and having 
knowing that there is likely going to be a second version of the headset uh, coming in two years, that does make me hesitate a little bit about spending high amounts of money on on accessories that may or may not be compatible with future versions. And so I would like some reassurance on that front. So I think I think if you're going to if I mean I mean a good example is how is 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 how we deal with accessories on cell phones. I mean there's some accessories for cell phones that you have to get new versions of every time you get a phone, right? Like like if I if I buy a new iPhone or or a new Android phone, um, I'm probably going to have to get a new case, but it's relatively inexpensive to do that. Yeah. Versus versus if I ha- if I buy a two hundred dollar pair of headphones to enjoy music on my on my on my iPhone or whatever, um, you have a strong sense when you put down that money that that's a good investment because you're going to be able to use those headphones across multiple devices that you're going to own over time. So you're willing to make that, you know, for people that care about that type of an experience, it doesn't, it's not, you know, it's not like you're buying, you're investing $200 to only use those headphones with your current phone. And you're going to have to plunk it down again when the new phone comes out. So likewise with, with Vive and VR headsets in general, um, depending on what the price point for stuff like premium uh, head straps and wireless kits and all that stuff is going to be, I'd be curious. I mean, the wireless is probably a little bit less because that might just be a stopgap to make the current Vive a little better or a lot better. And maybe future versions are all going to be wireless and who cares. But stuff like the the premium head strap or or, or other accessories that you know add. Something that that even a future version of the kit may not have, like a premium head strap, for example. Like that's that that kind of that kind of uh, accessory might just be too expensive to package with with the with the product uh, as a whole. But you know, you know, so they so they package it as a separate accessory. I want I would want some kind of reassurance or or some type of knowledge. That that stuff is going to continue to be compatible with future versions. No, I mean, yeah, that's a good point. So here are, I guess, here are two quick thoughts, just kind of in response to what you're saying. Um, in regards to the life cycle, so now let's let's just compare it to to smartphones for a second. These things come out every year, and they cost, I mean, between six, seven, eight hundred dollars, which is roughly the cost of a Vive. I mean, you know, or one of these headsets, if you think about it. Um, you know, and I'm just talking about like the price tag on, you know, if you buy one of these things brand new out of the box, I know there's a lot of subsidized plans, a lot of things like that, depending, depending on if you sign contracts and whatever. But my point being is that like, these are, these are like $600 investments or six to $800 investments that people make every year. Not everybody, but you know, they make them every year. And the one thing that I want to say really aids in that or allows people to do that is trade in value being able to trade in a relatively in good condition older phone or older model to get some credit towards going towards the newer model 
And I just wonder yeah. if if that will be applied in some way. So like if you were an HCC Vive one owner, you know, or whatever, whatever the, the original, if you were HCC, just an HTC Vive owner now, and they come out with either next year or the year after the HTC Vive 2, will there be some trade? And I don't know. I mean, I don't think trade-in would, would ever really work, but, you know, like uh, I would almost look at it as maybe like a customer loyalty, customer appreciation type of thing. Like if you bought a Vive, um, would you be able to get some type of discount going into the next one? And, and you know, looking at the console side of things, which is every five to six years, obviously that's that's not the case, not even remotely close to being the case. But I'm just wondering if there's this going to be, or if there's going to be like a split the difference type of middle ground here, um, just because the you know the user base is really small, and you want to be able to reward. Um, at this point, the user base is really small, and you'd want to be able to reward customers who have been supporting you in your early versions while it's still. Um, you know, uh, it's not mainstream yet, still very much early adopter. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I mean, that's a really good point. And actually, I mean, if a company like HTC were to subsidize, you know, you know, uh, you know, newer versions of the hardware for users that were early adopters, obviously I would be all for that. I think that'd be amazing, but I, I think that's, you know, we'd be hard pre- I think that'd be really expensive to do. <laughs> I'm just so trying to throw really the think- idea out there. So if they're yeah, listening, yeah, yeah, no, I, I hear you, and that would be, and it's, I mean, obviously, nothing's out of the question. I mean, everything's possible. So, so if that were, if we, if you could do something like that, some kind of a trade in, there's that would be incredible. Um, but uh, you know, it seems like that would be doubtful. Um, and then, as far as I mean, I, I think you're I mean, I, looking at cell phones. I mean, I think most people tend to skip a generation. Like, it seems like there's usually usually you kind of have to wait two refreshes to really see a big. Yeah, most of the time because like they have like a two year contract. But yeah, no, I, I know. What yeah, you're saying. but 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 I mean, in that regard, because of the two year contract, you see the devices themselves. I mean, I mean the. the you know, really moving from one one version of a phone to the direct next version, you see you see some upgrades, but like in general, it's pretty minimal. But then if you step up from that one to and you skip one and move to the next one, then you see more of a more of a jump, right? And so I, I think I think I think for a lot of people, they usually kind of wait. Like, yeah, I mean, and that and that would be similar to what what we're looking at with the Vive, right? I mean, they're proposing two to three years and, and yeah, most people do upgrade their phones probably every two to three years. If I were to guess that, that seems probably very common. Like there's people that do it, that do that switch out their phones probably once a year more frequently. And then there's probably people that wait two, three, I mean, even, you know, three, four years plus. And then probably, I, I would probably think a decent majority are used to now the model where every two years their contract expires, they get a new phone, blah, blah, blah. Though, by the way, I mean, we're, we're kind of seeing, uh, I mean, a lot of those trends uh, became ingrained in people because, because carriers were providing subsidies on phones, and that's becoming less and less of a thing. So I would argue that, that up until recently, most people weren't necessarily, at least consciously, paying six, seven, eight hundred dollars for their phones when they were getting them. They were being subsidized or they were paying, you know, at such a small 
you know, amount each month that they didn't really feel the burn as much as like most people would feel if they just plunked down $800 on a Vive. So yeah, that, true. So, so that's, so that's another thing that like, you know, if you're an HTC or an Oculus and you really want people to continue to upgrade, you need to maybe start thinking about ways of making that sting a little bit less, less hurtful, uh, or painful. Um, well, then, and we can kind of assume, uh, and I, maybe we shouldn't assume, but I, I want to be hopeful and also say that the prices of these things might go down uh, in the next yeah. couple of years. I mean, just... No, they want to. So I mean, yeah, yeah that's like, a good j- point. Just for the longevity and, you know, the growth of the, of the market, I feel like they'd have to, right? That has to be one of the main focuses of oh, yeah. being able to make it cheaper so that you can sell it cheaper. For sure. No, I, I mean, we know for a fact with the, the lighthouses, for example, they're they're trying to make them simpler so they can you know, potentially at one point sell them at a, at a cheaper cost. So, so yeah, so that stuff's all, all true. Um, I mean, there's a lot of other complicating factors as far as trying to compare, I think the state of cell phones with how VR has been moving. I mean, VR, if, going back to what I mentioned before with, you know, just a few years ago, we were looking at development kits as being, you know, the, the, you know, the cream of the crop, the most advanced technology out there. And, Compared to those VR, those development kits, you know, the, the headset, the high end headsets that we have now are night and day much better experiences. I mean, it's almost more like trying to compare, uh, you know, like a, a, a trio to a modern day iPhone rather than, rather than, uh, rather than trying to compare the more, you know, smaller steps. So what do I mean by that? I mean, so far, at least, there have been really big jumps in technology between major releases of headsets. And if that continues, then there's more pressure, I think, on the on the owner of the headset to upgrade than there are on phones. For phones, you kind of upgrade when you feel ready. But but you know, if if the v, if VR technology increases at an exponential rate, then for a lot of people, they won't really feel like they get to upgrade if they want to or not. They'll almost feel pressured to upgrade if they want to continue, uh, you know, with this as a hobby. So that's, so so that's another thing to consider. And then, and then I also think that you see this trend also. I mean, I think all these companies are trying to move towards this more, uh, more regular cycle of, of upgrades, even consoles, which you're right. were typically around five, six years, they, they would sometimes say 10, but that doesn't, that never really actually holds true. I feel like it was more like five ish years per console, like you said. Um, but, but now for the first time ever, we were seeing, you know, you know, we, we saw the release of the PlayStation 4 Pro, mm-hmm. which yep. is, which is, uh, you know, one of those mid steps between, between a PlayStation 4 and a potential next generation PlayStation. Um, and then, and then also we're going to see another iteration of the Xbox One with, with the release of Scorpio later this year. And those are, those are bigger, those are pretty big upgrades. They're not, we're not just talking about, you know, some more space on the hard drive or something. These are actual substantive releases. So, so I think everything's starting to move into this model every two, three years. You know, I mean, it's are, just, it's a matter of trying to stay relevant. Um, yeah. The market no, moving and, so quickly. Yeah, and everything, I mean, just technology in general is moving at such a fast pace. I feel like these time periods are getting shorter and shorter. So, um, 
so yeah, it's, it's all interesting stuff. Um, and I'm sure they're, they're, you know, kind of playing with exactly how they want to deal with this stuff. And, and, and I mean, they also, we also want VR to continue to expand and, and nothing really expands markets like new products. So, so if, if we, if, if, you know, the Vive just stays the Vive for the next five, six years, I don't really see, unless some really killer software comes out that really just convinces new people to come out in droves, I don't think there's really going to be a better way to bring people to the table than a new hardware release. So, so that's another exciting thing. Like if, if they did, if they did it right, a Vive 2 could get a lot of Vive owners on board, if not most of them, plus a substantial amount of new people. I mean, I'm sure that's their goal with releasing a new, a new piece of hardware. So yeah, I mean, there'll be a lot of people who have, who would have tried the Vive and, you know, are waiting for the next generation release. Not maybe not even for like the financial reasons, but just because they want something that's just a little bit more refined, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and for all we know, that's going to be the, the magic spot. Maybe two, three generations from now with substantially, you know, beefed up feature sets, you know, VR becomes the thing that people just can't ignore. Exactly. Well, it definitely seems like it's getting there. Yeah. All right. Well, let's so, uh, let's move on and transition. That's a long-winded conversation, but let's transition over <laughs> uh, and, and quickly do some game talk. Uh, I, we, we each have a game this week. I don't know if you want to go first or second or what. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, how about you go actually? Because I feel like I was just like talking my talking my <laughs> okay. throat off now over this. Sure. No problem. So I got. Uh, Castle must be mine. And um, I, I was kind of just browsing around for a game. And on Steam, uh, when you sort by user reviews, this just kind of was unassumingly on the first page. It's uh, 12 or yeah, well, eleven ninety nine US dollars. Uh, and it uh, when I was going through the um, the reviews, people were talking about how it's probably one of the best strategy games out there right now. And it's still huh. very wave based, but I gotta say, I you know, I got it a couple of days ago, and I'm hooked, man. I, I'm having a lot of fun with it. There's a lot of, uh, well, there's a level I can't get past, which is why, <laughs> which is why I keep revisiting it. But I've it's, been there. <laughs> it's a, uh, so it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. So you're building, you're building towers and and upgrading these towers, and you have a map uh, where you have enemies coming in trying to attack your castle. Uh, you you have a certain amount of health points and you have a certain amount of money that you're allowed to spend on building and upgrading towers. Now the towers that you now you can put the towers in you know predefined spaces, uh, so it's not like you have complete flexibility. But uh, you do get to to decide you know where you want to put the towers, uh, which ones you want to upgrade first, uh, and then also what type of tower it is. There's there's three different towers. Uh, and they also focus primarily, you know, they have different strengths and weaknesses and it's, it's, uh, a lot of it is, com- uh, or relative, uh, in terms of strength compared to the enemies that you faced. So sometimes there'll be airborne enemies and you can't attack them with a cannon. You'll need a, a crossbow. And sometimes you'll have, uh, I guess, magic based enemies that you'll need to, there's a magic tower as well, I guess for, uh, I think that's what it's called, but um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's really cool. It's very simple actually when you, when you look at it. And so it, it reminds me of laser bait again, not, not necessarily in, in terms of gameplay, uh, or, or mm-hmm. even strategy, but just in mm-hmm. terms of, uh, of, I guess the type and the, 
not even uh, the feel is very different. So I, I guess maybe I don't want to make that comparison too strong, but it's, it's a, I guess maybe I'm just a sucker for strategy games. Like, I, I, I mean, that's, that's <laughs> good company to be in. If you're comparing it to laser bait, which I thought, yeah, we both loved. So, yeah. So it's, it's just a lot of fun. And like I said, it, there's a, there's so many levels to it, or at least like a decent amount of levels that I've gone through so far. And in the, in the couple times that I've played it, I, I'm stuck at one of the higher ones now, but like every single time I play it, I try to do something different, try to have a different approach. And it's, it's just, uh, yeah. I mean, if you're into strategy games at all, I, I would recommend this one highly. And, you know, now I understand there's a reason that it's sitting on the first page. Um, you know, when you sort by user reviews, like it's, it's, it definitely lives up to the hype and at 12 bucks, it's, it's not going to break the bank. And, uh, again, you know, we always talk about not making price point uh, a, a big deal in this, but I want to point it out because of the simple fact that, you know, a lot of the, I, I want to say a lot of like the, and I'm using air quotes here, but like the the quality games or double A games or games that are, you know, that, that everybody talks about as being, you know, top tier are usually between 20 and $40. And so for something to be under 15 at, at $12, um, I, I just feel like this is a no brainer. And so, you, you know, you may not like it if you're not really into strategy games, but if, if you like laser bait, if you like any type of strategy based, um, well, I, I, again, it's still wave based, but if you like strategy and being able to set up things, I, 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 I never played the game out of ammo, but I did see some, some video gameplay for it. And it's, it's similar to that. I, it's okay. I, I don't want to. I'm drawing too many comparisons now, but I, I want to say it's similar in style to that where, you know, you, you can build towers and build items and things like that. And so I, that's just, it, it comes to mind when I'm thinking about this game, but yeah, I don't know. Hmm. It's just, it's a lot of fun. Okay. Very cool. Just curious. I mean, you didn't mention it, so I'm guessing no, but does it have multiplayer by any chance? So it, it doesn't, at least not what I've seen so far. And I'm not, I'm not exactly sure how you would implement multiplayer, whether it would be co-op or competitive, but okay. um, I, I mean, there's definitely a space for or, or, or a way, a way to do it. And I think like eventually, you know, a lot, a lot of these wave based games are eventually going to grow into something like, you know, I, I think what everybody wants to see is, uh, you know, a Warcraft or Age of Empires or some, you know, some classic uh, strategy yeah. game that, that you played back in the day. Uh, but now you're able to, to kind of play it in, in uh, VR. Um, and so it, this is it, it's just baby steps it's not even anywhere close to that but you know i think we're definitely getting there in terms of you know that now you, now you have like a board in front of you it all, in a sense like you you're you're playing almost like this uh, bird's eye view god mode where you're able to control a lot of things from the air and it's yeah so it, it vr is just going to change a lot in this realm when it comes to strategy type games. And so I, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see where this one goes specifically. Uh, it's, it's an early access as well, but it looks like the developers been <laughs> adding quite a bit to it. And, um, actually I, uh, I posted on Reddit earlier. And so I don't know if anybody is, um, if anybody knows the contact information for the developer, would love to have them on the show, him or her. Okay. Don't, don't yeah. want to assume, but, uh, would love to have them or the team on the show. Uh, and so I just, I, there wasn't a website, there wasn't anything associated online. So I'll, I'll keep digging and try to do research. But if, uh, if you do know the developer or, or want to pass, uh, them, uh, I guess our, our interest in terms of wanting to get them on the show, uh, would really appreciate that. Well, very cool. Yeah. I was actually ironically, like, as you were talking, I was thinking, oh man, like this really sounds like a game Zane's into. 
it sounds like something cool that you know it it seems like a good opportunity to to talk to the to the developer or developers if they'd be available so yeah if anybody can help out with getting us in contact with them that'd be great for sure for sure and um yeah, so that's that's all I got. I, I actually want to hear a lot about your game uh, because yeah, I was hearing about it beforehand, and then when you when you mentioned it when we got jumped on the phone, I was like, yes, <laughs> now now I can get a, a first uh, first hand account from you. So go ahead. Yeah, so so the game I am going to talk about is is Racket NX, and it is a new early access game that was released on Steam uh, just a few days ago kind of late january is when the initial release date was and uh it's it's up on steam right now for about 20 bucks i think 19.99 and yeah i i kind of just felt compelled to pick it up because uh most of the reviews so far have just been overwhelmingly positive i mean really people going out there and saying that this is one of their favorite games on the vive and so i had to i had to give it a shot and I definitely would say that I, I came came back rather impressed. Uh, I haven't played a ton of it yet, uh, probably only about an hour or so. And I will confess that I am not particularly great at racquetball slash pong type games. Uh, so this one, like, it, it took me a little bit to get the hang of, like, I'm still trying to fully understand how the rule set works. And I'm going to try to actually go online a little bit later to see if I can find more information about what, how you actually play the game. Because right now, since it is an early access title, there is a like a kind of a how to play uh, kind of you know category in the in the options or the settings, but it's grayed out and you can't click it. Oh, so okay. literally, I get in. So I I get into the game and it, I mean, possibly for using you're gonna. If you fired it up, you would right away get the concepts and and totally understand the rules just by kind of messing around with it. I just feel like me personally, I've played some of these other like other uh, racquetball type games and on the Vive that are, that were released previously, and it's just not always super intuitive to me. Um, but that said, like I, I don't want to take away from the awesomeness of this game. I'm putting those caveats out there just to say that. The- those were my limitations as far as engaging with this type of a game, because even for someone that hasn't been super into those games, uh, this one, I, I don't, I feel like, feel like it was money well spent. Um, Cause even at the early access, I mean, just from top to bottom, this game, I, I mean, I would say honestly, as far as polish, what polish is concerned, I mean, it feels as polished as something like Zortex in, in uh, the lab. For example, mm, and that's okay. something, and that, and that's, and the reason I'm bringing that up is because part of the aesthetic kind of feels like that. It's it's very Tron esque in that uh, you start the game up and you're kind of you're on a platform floating in space, and I'd actually say like as far as space themed menus are concerned, I'd say this game has the best one that I've ever seen in a in a Vive game. I mean, it's really like. I mean, the fidelity of kind of, you know, seeing asteroids in the distance and, and stars and like, you know, uh, I'm not sure if it's a moon or a planet or what, but uh, everything looks great and it really feels appropriately scaled and very tangible and very, very real. And then 
you're, you know, from that platform. But, I mean, another thing that's really great about this game, and I'll caution people that have really small uh, room scale setups, I, I don't think you need a huge room scale setup, but I do think the more room you have, the better, the more you'll enjoy the game because this game truly is a like 360 degrees all around you and really takes advantage of that. So, so like I said, based on, I think your play area, uh, you, you start out on this round platform and space is kind of all around you. And that's where you're looking at all of your menus and the menus are completely in a circle around you. So you, you can literally just walk around the circle, like rotate and, and access all of your menu options. And there's an arcade mode. There's, you know, a normal single player mode. There's a multiplayer mode, though I haven't gotten to try that yet. Um, and then there's options and a couple other stuff. And, uh, basically once you pick, let's say you pick arcade mode, um, you pick it and all of a sudden from the bottom of the platform that you're standing on, all these little hexagons just kind of grow from there. Kind of think like, I don't know, Cerebro and X-Men, for example, where, <laughs> where, where now you're in this like domed environment that's made up of a bunch of hexagons. Like now all of a sudden you're in that environment and it's time to play the game. And your controller is now kind of this Tron kind of, you know, see through neon, uh, bracket type thing. And now you're basically, you're hitting a ball, uh, against all the walls and each panel will light up differently. And based on those patterns, like you'll, it's pretty obvious the, the sections that light up bright green are the ones that you're trying to hit as far as I know. And then based on, I mean, like I said, this is where it gets kind of hard for me because I don't fully understand how racquetball works. And I definitely don't understand exactly what the rules are like in this because I feel like sometimes I'm always just aiming for the green and I think I'm doing well. And then all of a sudden I get a game over. I'm like, what did I, (laughs) I I don't know what I was supposed to be doing, but like, but that set, like none of that, I think for, for a lot of people, uh, they'll probably understand the rules better than I do. And just everything looks great. Feels amazing. One of the things that, How's, oh, like the, how's like the feedback uh, on? Yeah, that's what that's the one of the strongest thing. I mean, uh, I mean, and this is high praise coming from me, honestly. But I would say this is like the racquetball equivalent of like a, a space pirate trainer. Wow. In terms okay. of in terms of things feel really like the physics on the ball and the feedback you get from the environment uh, when you're when you're hitting the panels. Uh, and and I there's probably more types of panels that I haven't seen yet. But I started seeing these weird kind of panels where they were almost like vortexes. So if I hit one of those panels, the ball would kind of get sucked into like a little, like almost like a black hole, and then it would spit out from another another side of the of the of the room. And and all that stuff feels great, works well, works like you'd expect it to. And really, the the feedback from like one of the things that I that I saw a lot in reviews and I. I couldn't agree more is that it really feels like anything you do with that racket translates into an effect on the ball. So literally if you, if you angle, if you change the angle of your racket ever so slightly, you feel like it does actually have 
like a it makes a, consist- a difference, huh? Yeah, a consistent difference too. It's not like because obviously, I mean, like the fidelity of the vibe is great enough where it's always gonna it's gonna pick that stuff up. But like I, in other games I've played, it doesn't always feel like everything reacts exactly as you intended. Or sometimes you you feel like you didn't you you didn't put that much force on it, and somehow the game decides that you were you know trying to to slam the ball through the and it just like hits super hard or barely hits at all or like everything about this feels right when you move it a certain way it has the effect on the ball that you expect it to have if you put a little bit more speed or power into your movement you get a little bit more speed or power on the ball like it's everything just feels like it's reacting the way it should which makes playing the game just feel right and and so that's so I think that's I mean this is still an early access game so there isn't you know there there's a decent amount of stuff to be had I mean in the time I spent I've really just played the arcade mode and in a little bit I I'm referring to it as a single player mode I don't I don't remember the exact name of the mode but it's it's almost like I mean it's based on the rules of the game so rather than just trying to get a high score um you know you have it's more limited in it's almost like like a time trial to it's not time trial but it's just a more the single player is like a more limited you know you've played by the rules and if you don't follow the rules your game is over kind of deal um, okay and so and so those are the only modes i played there is a multiplayer mode um according to the steam store some of the multiplayer has been a little bit glitched out and buggy um but i don't know the status on that it, they said they were they were dealing with it and that was that was right around release, so it may be perfectly up and running by now. I, I, I want to try that out. I just didn't feel, given my my lack of knowledge of the rules, I, I wanted to kind of wait until I got a better feel for the game before I tried doing that. But who knows? I mean, if if you're able to to talk like you usually can in a in a Vive multiplayer game, sometimes I've learned that multiplayer is kind of the best way to learn how to play. Sometimes so. Uh, I might have to try that just to see if I can get find someone that can explain to me exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly that'd probably what. be the best best way to go into it. So, but but yeah, but I mean, definitely really cool, and like I said, just mechanically very sound, very well polished, and the fact that this is such an early early access title, um, you know, if if the feature set expands in this, like you see from games like Space Fire Trainer, for example, then. I think this is a no-brainer and definitely a really cool game for for people to pick up. Very cool. Well, there you have it. Recommendation for Racket NX. But yeah, ma'am, uh, you got anything else? No, that's 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 pretty much it. Uh, uh, yeah, it, I want to play some more of that. And, <laughs> uh, just yeah, yeah. Actually, have a little bit another game that. Uh, I'm looking forward to trying to get into a little bit. I picked up Snow Fortress a long time ago, mm-hmm. and I haven't really played it that much yet. It was recent. I recently saw it come up as part of a Vive Port collection, so I'm kind of thinking about trying that out maybe for next week. But we'll see. Cool. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll save that for next week. Um. Yeah, man. Well, that's that's all I got. So let's go ahead and cut this episode here then. Sure. Sure. It was. Uh, it's good to have you back. And thank you very much. <laughs> And yeah, so for for everyone listening, thank you guys for tuning in. 
Uh, we really do appreciate it. And uh, again, we are on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube. So uh, please subscribe, like, comment, do all that good stuff, and, and definitely keep the conversation going. Uh, if there's games you want us to check out, definitely let us know on YouTube. Uh, and let us know what you think of these games if you've given them a try, because um, I'm a huge fan of Castle Must Be Mine, and it sounds like uh, Racket NX is something that I'll have to get into as well. So um, yeah, we'll see where things go from there. But Ronnie, you have a fantastic rest of the week, man. Thank you very much, Zane. It's it's great to be back. And uh, yeah, let's talk again soon. Cool. All right, guys. Well, take care and talk soon. <laughs>